We have three poets with us this evening. I'm going to introduce them um, each one at a time. Um, and uh, the first poet we're going to hear from is Ella Frears. Um, Ella is a poet and a visual artist. Um, she's had a pamphlet out, Passivity, Electricity and Acclivity, which was published by Goldsmiths Press. Um, and she was one of the finalists for the Arts Foundation Fellowships in Poetry this year, um, where she was wearing a fantastic white boiler suit and was accosted by uh, Tracy Emin running up to her to thank her for her wonderful poems. Um, she's completed residencies for the National Trust, Tate Britain, um, and Royal Holloway University, and she has a collaborative installation, The Six Pillars of Modernism, exhibited at Tate's St Ives. Now, her most recent project is that she has been touring the motorway service stations of the country, and she has been writing poems dedicated to the motorway service stations, and there's going to be a book and a film out of that in September. And then shortly following that, um, early next year, we are going to have her debut collection, Shine Darling, which is being published by Offord Road Books. So look out for that. In the meantime, you have your first opportunity uh, to hear. Please welcome Ella Frizz. Hi. We slept under a full moon. Our bodies wound like pale snakes through the silver-tipped grass. We opened our mouths and let the light fall in. Have you ever tried it? It's the closest light to water, pooling on your eyelids, cool and wordless on your tongue. We slept deeply, eyes open, our breath becoming something pulled from us. We felt the weight of water in the air and wild laughter began to well up inside. We threw back our spotlit heads and let it pour forth till morning. Um, I went to art school when I was 19. I did an art foundation. Um, and the idea of an art foundation, uh, if any of you have done one, is that you try all of the different forms of art. Um, and I ended up making some quite weird films um, and I think at that age, I'm, I, I won't speak for all 19-year-olds, but um, I was an idiot. And um, uh, I uh, made a film that I still feel uncomfortable about. The film. The sun was shining as we ambled around campus, stopping boys and men and asking them to hit me across the face. They all refused at first. We told them it was art and necessary. So they slapped me, one after another. I realized I had to harden my eyes, provoke. Each boy did a comedy slap, palm to face, apologized before and after. It was hot and bright. We flirted with the geographer whose slap was light, his fingers just brushing my cheek as though turning my face to the side to see my profile. We had about 20 guys on film. My friend's boyfriend turned up when we asked if he would do it. He kissed her and stood to face me. My friend pressed record and said, go. And I was laughing. I'd forgotten to ready my face, my left cheek slightly pink from a day of slapping. I was not ready for his backhand. Quick and strong, a strange noise as though he'd slapped the laugh right off me, a thicker pain than a sting. 
an immediate loss of breath. For a moment we were silent and I looked at my friend whose hand had flown to her cheek, the camera's red light still blinking, and I knew we would never watch the film, that I would feel sick and guilty as long as the bruise lasted, longer, having asked for what wasn't mine. going to go back to the moon. Phases of the moon, things I have done. New moon. I ransacked the house for something that does not exist. Waxing crescent. I ate 12 peaches. First quarter. I tipexed an old letter from him, leaving only the word basement. Waxing gibbous. I put on my favourite underwear and cried in the mirror. Full moon. I buried a pork chop in the garden, walked backwards, howled. Waning gibbous. I thought a great deal about drilling a hole in my head. Third quarter. I told the neighbour my heart beats only for her. Waning crescent. I stood outside facing the house and waited for myself to appear. Um, I did a residency in the New Forest in uh, 2016, um, and it was supposed to be like one of those dream jobs. I was being paid to write for um, eight weeks, uh, and it was sort of in a beautiful uh, studio by the river, um, but actually it was winter. Um, it was really isolated. There was no phone or internet signal. Um, I was missing the person that I loved. Uh, Donald Trump had just been elected. Um, you know, everything was going on here. And, um, and also my dad had had a sort of mini stroke and, and I was very worried about that and couldn't get in touch. Um, and I called the people that were running the residency and I said, look, I'm, I'm having, a, having a breakdown. And, um, and they said, just write about the river. It's beautiful, just write about the river. Um, so I did. After the lie, Donald came in a vision to Donald. On the 24th day, the river, a belt of gold. Donald, Donald like topaz, like lightning, eyes flaming, arms burnished, leading himself into the river. I, Donald, touched my lips and used lotions. On the 25th day, the river, a cord of honey. Donald like flint, like thunder, eyes closed, arms bare, chasing himself into the river. I, Donald, opened my mouth and sang what I had rehearsed. On the 26th day, the river a dark rope, Donald like touch paper, like ice storm, eyes black, arms bleeding, drags himself into the river. I, Donald, vision of such terror, I fled. On the 27th day, the river a dry trough, Donald like sawdust, like swarm, eyes aching, arms weeping, weeping, digs in the dirt for the river. I, Donald, touched my lips, but nothing came. On the 28th day, the river a splitting headache, Donald like salt, like aftershock, eyes restless, Arms frantic tries to plug the source of the river. I, Donald, could not escape my lips. On the 29th day, the river an unmade bed. 
Donald like piss, like epidemic, eyes raw, arms heavy, buried himself in the river. I, Donald, swallowed the dust until I drowned. I never really know how to introduce this next one, so I think I won't. Um, these are my lovers, green and buck-toothed. What of it? Closer to dogs than men, closer to donkeys than dogs. Their old-fashioned skirts leave everything to the imagination. Picture this, weak old meat. Picture this, buttered toast picked up off a dirty carpet. I whistle and they come. Pavlov, eat your heart out. I stroke their matted heads and they snore at my feet, content. If they misbehave, I send them to bed without any supper. They love supper, crouching over their plastic bowls like harpies. If they're good, I let them count the freckles on my arms. I'm not saying it's what I want forever. I'm saying times are hard and gratitude really does it for me. Tonight, I will enter their bedroom in nothing but a gold necklace. I will hold my arms out, palms upwards, and from their twin beds they will rise, softly, like smoke from the altars of villages. <laughs> um, this next one, uh, my boyfriend really hates. <laughs> um, I asked him to check the roof, then took the ladder away. All night I enjoyed the lie, not feeling well upstairs in bed, but sends his love. I could feel his frustration above me, could feel it so strongly, it was as though my chest were the roof and he was trapped inside me. How will we go on after, I thought. How will I end this? He hadn't called for help. Maybe he'd worked out a way down, but I didn't think so. The dinner party was wonderful. As the guests left, I looked up and realised that there was no moon. Shine, darling, I whispered. And from behind the chimney rose his little head. <laughs> um, I'm going to finish with the poem from the National that was commended in the National Competition, which is why I'm here. Fucking in Cornwall. The rain is thick and there's half a rainbow over the damp beach. Just put your hand up my top. I've walked around that local museum a hundred times and I've decided that the tiny stuffed dog, dog labelled the smallest dog in the world is a fake. Kiss me in a pasty shop with all the ovens on. I've held a warm new egg on a farm and thought about fucking. I've held a tiny green crab in the palm of my hand. I've pulled my sleeve over my fingers and picked a nettle and held it to a boy's throat like a sword. Unlace my shoes in that alley and lift me gently onto the bins. The bright morning sun is coming and coming and the holiday children have their yellow buckets ready. Do you remember what it felt like to dig a hole all day with a plastic spade just to watch it fill with sea? I want it like that, like water feeling its way over an edge, like two bright red anemones in a rock pool, tentacles waving ecstatically, like the gorse has caught fire across the moors 
and you were the ghost of a fisherman who always hated land. Thank you very, very much, Ella Frears. And the judges for last year's competition who chose these poets were Kai Miller, Mark Waldron, and Kim Moore. And the next poet they chose was Katie Griffiths. Katie grew up in Ottawa, in Canada. Uh, her family was Northern Irish. Um, she was published in Primer's Volume 1, which was published by, uh, by Nine Arches. So we have the publisher in the room. Thank you, Jay. Um, and she was long-listed in the National Poetry Competition twice before, before coming second last year. Um, she has um, a pamphlet, um, My Shrink is Pregnant, um, which is currently long-listed for the, um, the Canon Prize, which is um, due to be announced fairly soon, so look out for that. Um, and she's a member of Malika's Poetry Kitchen and the Red Door Poets. Yes, for Malika's Poetry Kitchen too. Um, she's also a singer, and the poem that she came second with is called Do Not Indulge Indigo. Please welcome Katie Griffiths. Thank you very much. In our idleness, an exorcist and I compare hands. He says, exorcism improves flexibility of the hands. Hands clarify, throw light. I say, but hands are heavy duty. They drag their body behind. And does he know first cousin to a hand is not a foot, but a rake? Let the earth prepare. He says, to focus the disintegrating mind, you must place two fingers on the person's eyes before you raise the eyelids. I say, my fingers are too stiff from questions. He says, it's a pastoral emergency. He keeps a collection of items his clients have spat out, keys nails. I say I keep a magnifying glass to study my hands, their wrinkling, a new ordinance of skin. He says he saw four strapping men struggle to hold down a young girl. I say I held my father close for those last minutes before his hands dropped like starfish learning the ocean. It's such a pleasure to be here in Ledbury. This is my first time, so it's very exciting. And I just want to say thank you to the Poetry Festival organizers and the Poetry Society. And I just want to say it's such an honor to be reading here this evening alongside two poets whom I admire so much, Ella and Wayne. Doe must not, 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 not enter the body. One summer, 
she learned how to eat. Not to swallow, just spit, crouched with jam pastries and a paper bag. With this technique, she ate herself down to the cellar. Each night painted a portrait of a harlot with lopsided hat that grew with each mistake. One botched eye had to go hidden beneath an extended brim. Daytimes, bowled against ribs of a wooden rowboat, she'd drift with the current, invisible to shore, trying to occupy less space but at the same time disturb it more. For wasn't that the communion wafer's trick on the tongues of the pious? To dissolve, disappear, do the holy work. Eternal life, the case for plastic. I'd argue that the vindication lies in the samples of plastic. Exhibit three, this vial of ethanol used on Henry VIII's flagship, Mary Rose, when hauled from the Solent and soaked constantly to prevent drying of ancient wood. By extension, the testimony against Ellen Fruling, socialite aged 74, who maintains she's had no work done despite shored up cheeks and absence of crow's feet that suggests the intervention of Exhibit 8B, hyaluronic acid, injected subcutaneously by a skillful esthetician. May I further draw attention to this color photograph, Exhibit 15, of a large red amaryllis, molded from extruded thermoplastic and standing guard over a just visible, though tiny mound in a Spanish mountain cemetery. Notice the flower's mouth peeled back to tonsils and crimson voice box, its tongues taut, naming Teresa Rodrigo Reyes who both arrived and departed on February the 10th, 1963, at exactly 11.30 a.m. I contend this is one in the eye for so-called death, blooming in August hard earth, leaking, no stench, rebuffing all insects. Lots of my work <laughs> appears to address the question of faith. And by that, I don't just mean a religious faith, but something even more, perhaps, I don't know, an existential trust or an existential hope, which perhaps we all need at the moment. I wanted to write a poem called The Tenets of Faith. Tenets meaning rules. And of course, that word <laughs> sounds amazingly like Tenants, so I had to change the title to The Tenants 
of faith. A hair's breadth from eviction, snitched by coffee mug rings on the chenille, putrid bins, not to mention knuckle prints on the bedroom plaster. No dispensation for having rid the kitchen of weevils. The absentee landlord has me by the small print. Think, what luxury even to be considered faith's, albeit deplorable, tenant. A much more temporary, let's say a cold caller on faith, pressing for a legible signature, or a doorstepper of faith, stalking its uproarious shindig. Faith should be forthcoming as hands cupping water, or pliant as my body was one December morning under its wedding dress. Divine non-intervention. It sours your day, leaves a bad smell in the stairwell. What supreme being? Unless still lounging on Mount Olympus, dysfunctional. Certainly mauled by all sides, pulled apart like moth wings, expanding to the required diameter, or none at all. Each time you reach for the remote, you're trapped alive. To be frank, the headlines terrify. It seems the Almighty's doing improv now. <laughs> <laughs> Mother of God, you say, lighting a candle when clearly the only remaining option is to address a responsible adult. Mother of God. What on earth were you thinking, carrying him until he emptied you? My penultimate poem is named after a quote from the Bible, quite a harsh quote, I think, and it is, Whomsoever go without faith into this kingdom, let him not be healed. More ways to skin a cat, surely. For example, wise plover in her hovel, trafficking angel cards and runes. There's too much trapped anger, she declared behind me, turning her palms over my shoulders and lifting upward as if I were a cantilever collapsed on my own frame. I straightened a tad. She offered nothing more save a cup of tepid rooibosh and the instruction for calmness to think of the sea, which of course I saw everywhere, but abject and scathing, its turmoil so spiked by belligerent breakers that one day I took the train to the coast, resolved to finally settle matters. I asked the sea to admit its failings, and it wouldn't leave the stones alone.
So it gives me great pleasure, finally, to read the poem that uh, came second in the National Poetry Competition. So I, I just want to express my heartfelt thanks to the judges and the Poetry Society for allowing this poem to have some light and some air. Do not indulge indigo, even if it moons at your window. Do not feed indigo as pit into which you pour ledgers or the branding on your arm. Do not romance indigo unless you want stains never to go. Do not dig with indigo. Your foot risks limb-affecting disease, which is to say your toes will drop off one by one. Do not carry indigo like an organ donation card. You will be winded. May as well shoplift flat packs from a self-assembly depot or a preschooler. Do not exfoliate indigo. Its flesh is spotted with liver marks, like your own, you, a nascent witch, living in a hut off the M3. Do not, start, do not startle indigo in its lair while whelping. Its young are intransigent, but painting sub-pollock pieces. Do not introduce indigo into written phrases. It may fall short as symbol of potency or grief. Caveat emptor, do not deal in indigo. It will be cut with baking powder, e.g. the great indigo crisis of 2017. Do not climb indigo like a Monroe, mobile phone signal dead, your face growing old in the wind. Do not map indigo, declare it a colony where you offload petty criminals and onload avocados. Do not sue indigo, it can rig juries. Remember the hermanos coloridos, or pixelate indigo as anything tentative. Compare the theory of exits and entrances. Do not disguise indigo in your conversations. No military circle or listening post in the Pacific will be fooled. Do not reduce indigo to sloppy syllables in, dig, go, or get front fixated on no room at the inn, searching for shooting stars, Halley's Comet, Ursa Major, framed in the sky above your bed, or would be if you didn't shiver in the lockup with a corrugated iron roof always leaking and you thinking in, in, Indig, indignant, indigent, infradig, simply dug in. Thank you. Thank you very much, Katie Griffiths. So um, the National Poetry Competition, we publish every year the winners in the Poetry Review. So do um, look out for the magazine 
um, that the poet Wayne regularly appears in anyway, but, um, but also the winners are always published in that. And we also publish an anthology of the winners uh, every year, and we've got some copies um, free at the back, so if you'd like to read these poems again, we have got some of these, so do pick one of those up. Um, there is also a bookstall and some books to be, to be bought. Um, so our final poet uh, this evening is Wayne Holloway-Smith, and Wayne was this year's winner of the National Poetry Competition. And... Um, so Wayne <laughs> is the author of a pocket book, um, Beloved in Case You've Been Wondering, published by Don't Do Not Press. A full-length collection, um, Alarum, was published by Blood Axe in 2017. It's been shortlisted for lots of prizes, and it's just actually been shortlisted for the Michael Murphy Award, um, and that's going to be announced uh, in the next sort of two or three weeks. So um, do look out for, the, for that. Um, he has a pamphlet, I Can't Wait for the Wending, which was published by Test Centre, and he was also the winner of the Poetry Society's Geoffrey Dermer Prize, and this is a prize that the Poetry Society gives for the best poem published in Poetry Review by a poet who hasn't yet had a collection, and we've, got a, we've had a fantastic track record of the judges who, who, who choose those, um, picking poets who do then go on to, to win significant other prizes. Um, and in fact, the National Poetry Competition um, has had so many um, winners um, over the years that you'll know. Carol Ann Duffy won very, very early on in her career. There's been Sinead Morrissey, Colette Bryce, Ian Dewig, Joe Shapcott. So it's always worth looking out for the winners of the, the top 10 winners and, and seeing who you're going to keep an eye on uh, in the future. So um, Wayne was, as I say, um, this year's winner. Um, his new, the poem he won with is going to be published by Blood Axe next year in his second collection, Love Minus Love. And the poem um, was called um, the, <laughs> um, the um, which I thought was written down there and isn't. Now I'm going to think I'm going to say it wrong. So I'm going to say you will hear the title of the poem. Um, but it's, a, it's, a, it's kind of... It, because I actually have, I managed to have a, an accident last week, and I've, I've actually been covered in bruises for the last three weeks. And we've had, we had bruise slapping from Ella, and another posh mums are boxing in the square. Uh, so that's like, get ready for your next um, fighting poem of women being beaten up. Uh, as we welcome Wayne Holloway Smith. Hi. Uh, I don't uh, champion women getting beaten up in any way, just in case anyone was wondering. Like, um, thanks for having me. Um, I'm sorry, I just put these glasses on. Like, just I, I was down here, and then all of a sudden, when I stood up, I had glasses on, and everyone was like... <laughs> um, i read a couple of poems from Alarum. Um, so everyone's familiar, I guess, with um, the Punch and Judy show. Yeah, okay, so I don't need to explain to people that um, it's uh, a puppet show um, in which um, the husband puppet domestically abuses his wife, his baby, a policeman, the devil, and um, a row of sausages. You all already know that. Okay. Um, the air itself, inside the tiny, inside the candy-coloured theatre, open to the beachfront, sweet 
to the retina and wriggling, you might say, in the palaver of its excess is sudden, suddenly still as the found out devil. It's a drunk man discovered by the frightening silence of morning, or it's a sneaking crocodile caught with a sausage in its muzzle, or it's the reality of silence, that part of a child's face when its ice cream slips from the cone. It's trapped, the air is, as perpetual rudeness is trapped in the dead slap of a flat stick, the very second it's wrapped, the exact second it's given to the head of its pinstriped, its pinnied victim, oh Judy. And it stayed like the violence of a tossed up baby or the shadow, the mournful shadow of a man, its penumbra of bent nose and sticky out chin, slow rocking and almost kazoo-like in its shrill and don't blame me fauna, while respectable mothers do pick up their infants, while husbands do throw an implicit arm over the wife's shoulder, as grandparents swathed in sun cream do ease their debt chairs shut and everything just sort of creeps soft and backwards as the sea creeps in outroads of awkwardness. It's whispering, the air is, as the sand here might whisper, I don't like it anymore, please, for God's sake, take me with you. Uh, Judith asked me to read slightly longer, so I'm just going to read a really, really long poem. I've only ever read it once before, so um, you won't know unless you're following along. You know, like at church where people are singing those hymns and people are following along in their little books. I don't see everyone just reading along, so I think it's going to be fine and no one will spot any mistake. I'm trying not to touch this thing, because if you touch it, it's metal and it does that. So... It's like, that's why I think everyone is sort of standing precariously, holding their books instead of touching them. It's not because we're like really possessive over our work and don't want to put it down. Um, there is absolutely no way to make this real life interesting. My ostensible father is downstairs, sore to the dickens about everything. No matter, my illness is all right. Two fingers up the throat of itself, nutrients bawling across the panels of the bathroom, tears backing up in the backs of its eyes and desperate, sometimes laughter. As a child, my illness had fat thighs and a scar on its lip that my mother assured would one day disappear. As a child, my illness was trying itself out, holding itself at angles in the mirror. It wanted so much to be the beautiful boy at school or something very wrapped up and lifted, a wonderful hybrid creature and dead almost beneath its blankets. As a child, it was wrong in knitwear, eating Mars bars, bowls of ice cream, pasta, cold beans, bowls of ice cream, cold beans, Mars bars. Picture this, my illness in a gym hidden by large men and mirrors. Picture this. A field of red flowers, hidden in a field of flowers, my illness dressed in a wide-rimmed straw hat is eating all of the red flowers. Imagine how many surplus calories you have to eat to gain one pound, said the therapist in her green cardigan. 
Think back, she said, in an attitude of prayer. Allow your inner child to speak out. She spoke out from beneath long orange hair. What's it saying? What do you want to say, little illness? A shadow carefully distinguishes from all of their shadows. When my illness goes with my friends out driving to the cinema and with popcorn, it is distrustful of the girl at the counter because maybe the girl at the counter will give it Coke instead of Diet Coke. When my illness goes with them, it waits till my friends are out of earshot and whispers to the girl at the counter, I'm diabetic, please don't get it wrong. I ran for a long time with my illness and smoked. Dear pillow, my illness said, I'm empty as a packed lunch. Dear pillow, how many calories in a red flower? The pillow never did speak back. Cat food, Mars bars, bread, bread from the freezer, pasta, so much cake, bread from the freezer, three types of cheese. The therapist suggests a self-help book for my illness. My friend's mum buys it. The self-help book addresses my illness as she. Sometimes she just wants to be scooped up, helpless and placed in a bathtub. My illness grew into itself so much that it ran one day 23 miles from my parents to my nan's house. Trucks on a motorway, horns down Sunday lanes across some shortcut cornfields and arrived just in time for dinner. My illness is taking all of the red flowers inside itself, so the field is just filled with my illness. My illness taking all of this imagery into itself until it's outgrowing the place where it hides. My friends, now speeding past in cars, ostensibly my father is downstairs, sore to the dickens about everything. Right, uh, uh, there's this book sort of box of poems thing that I did with um, Tess Center called I Can't Wait for the Wending. All of them are built upon coincidences or uh, like weird shit that I googled on the internet and found out to be maybe or maybe not true, but the internet says they're true, so they probably are true, right? Um, and those were like ways that I could kind of pin issues of anxiety or whatever onto these, these uh, ways in which I could sort of express that through contingency or whatever. Contingency played a big part um, in, in its production. Like, they're all on pieces of cards and they're in a box. They're not, they don't have a spine because I want people to um, read them in whatever order they want them, uh, they, they happen to read them in. And it was called I Can't Wait for the Wending based upon a spelling mistake that my eight-year-old daughter made uh, when she tried to write, I can't wait for the wedding. So hardly any of this is mine, or at least it sort of is, but a little bit isn't. Um, so most of this stuff, uh, I'll, I'll read these two, which are based on um, things I found out on the internet. If you piled each of my bad thoughts on top of the next, eventually they would be the size of the tallest cow in the world. His name is Daniel. He lives in a field in America. The previous tallest cow on earth, they say, was of such volume, it cracked its hind legs and had to be put down. This is the closest to suicide a cow can get, eating too much. Some humans eat cows, some mimic them. Daniel's owner is constantly checking the news for updates on cow size. And when he's not, he's out in the fields with a measuring tape. This is absolutely true, this story. 
<clears throat> One story goes, a man on his lunch break was hit by a falling baby falling from a very high window of a building the man was passing on his lunch break. The man saved the baby's life, accidentally getting landed on. The man saved that exact baby's life, accidentally getting landed on one exact year later, on his lunch break breaking the slightly more grown baby falling from the same window's fall, accidentally. The man's name is Joseph Figlock. What is sad is, the realisation this baby could literally mean anything, but doesn't. It does not. What I don't know is whether that baby, a toddler by now, has fallen a third time, whether he's falling still and at this moment crying out, where is Joseph Figlock? I can't see him. Why isn't he here? It's weird that uh, Judith, Judith um, kind of forgot the title of the, the winning poem, right? But it's weird because it doesn't have that title in the book. The, in, in my next book, that's just a, an extract from it. Um, none of the poems have titles. They all, all the pages just kind of bleed into each other. So you were absolutely bang on the money, Judith. So I'm going to read a few things here that uh, are part of that book. Um, there's three poems that sort of use anecdotes or movies or whatever. There's one which uh, includes Ghost, my mum's favourite movie of all time, in which Patrick Swayze stars as the ghost that has to vicariously make love to his uh, wife through the body of Whoopi Goldberg. So that's something we all aspire to. <laughs> and another one is um, uh, something that I lifted from uh, Just Kids, by Patti Smith, but I'm gonna start with this one. It has nothing to do with Patti Smith or ghosts. Sundays he cuts first his Yorkshire pudding. I cut first my Yorkshire pudding. She stands in the kitchen smoking. Later, he will say an unkind thing. The whole of the world is arranged around our television set. Later, I will step over his drunk white and out of work body. Sundays, she stands in the kitchen, tenderizing a cow. The cow, of course, is dead and wrapped up in cling film. He stopped years ago cleaning his teeth. Years ago, he put his toothbrush away and turned his back on the bathroom sink for good. I cut first my Yorkshire pudding. She wears her endless wedding ring, removes her wedding ring to do the washing up alone. Later, he will say an unkind thing. I will step over his drunk white and out of work body. The cow, of course, is dead. The cow is covered in gravy now. There are also peas. Sundays, there was a tooth on his pillow, which he hid. He hid it. The whole of the world is arranged around that tooth now, in hiding all the gaps in his mouth. Later, she will do the washing up, take off her ring. He will say an unkind thing. There are also peas. The television set is speaking to the room. The room is silent. I cut first my Yorkshire pudding. Again, I am zipped up and frantic with fear. The cow, of course, is dead. Honey glazed potatoes. <clears throat> Here's your mother. She's sleeping, dressed in ostentatious pink in the passenger seat of a brown beige Vauxhall Cavalier, her hair done, perfect, curated, the windows done, uptight, the exhaust fumes of your father gently filling up the car. 
Here's your mother. She is Demi Moore with short black hair. It's the early 90s. She's not got much on. Sitting at her pottery wheel, the Righteous Brothers are singing about love. It might be raining outside and dark, and she's getting pretty messy there in all that clay. You might think, you might expect at this moment, the well-toned, the shirtless husband to arrive behind her in tight black jeans, but nothing. Only the record spinning and the empty symbol of the half-finished jar lengthening on that wheel. Here's your mother. She is Patty Smith and gazes hungry in November in 1969 in Manhattan in the Horn and Harder Automat upon a sandwich in a vending machine behind its glass with one less dime in her hand than she needs. Just then, your dad appears dressed as Allen Ginsberg, buys her the sandwich, and now she has to sit and listen to him talk about Walt Whitman for the rest of her life. <laughs> but instead of talking about Walt Whitman, he is silent. Suddenly, they are both rotated 90 degrees to the left, and instead of an automat, there are only armchairs, a carpeted living room, a TV. The posh mums are boxing in the square, roughing each other up in a nice way. This is not the world into which I was born, so I'm changing it. I'm sinking deep into the past and dressing my own mum in their blue spandexes, svelte black stripes from hip to hem, and husbands with better dispositions toward kindness. Or at least, I'm giving her new lungs. I'm giving her a best friend with no problems and both of them pads, some gloves, to go at each other with, in a nice way. I'm making it a warm day for them, but also I'm making it rain. The two of them dapping it out in long shadows. I'm watching her from the trees grow, strength in her thighs, my mum, grow strength in her glutes, my mum, her back tall upright, her knees. I'm watching her grow, no bad thing in her stomach, no tumour, her feet do not hurt to touch, my mum, she is hopping, sinews are happening, wiry arms developing their full reach, no bad thing explodes, sweat and not gradual death, I'm cheering, no thing in her stomach, no alcohol, no cigarettes with their crotonaldehyde. Let my dad keep those. No removal of her womb. And I'm cheering her on in better condition. Cheering, she is learning to fight for her own body in spandex, her new life. And though there is no beef between them, if her friend is gaining the upper hand, I will call out from the trees her name, Christine. And when she turns as turns she must, my mum, in the nicest possible way, can slug her right in the gut. Thanks for having me.